0: Section 71 of Complete Original Short Stories of Guy de Maupassant, this LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tatiana Cicilla, Columbus, Ohio. Section 71. A Tress of Hair The walls of the cell were bare and whitewashed. A narrow grated window, placed so high that one could not reach it, lighted this sinister little room. The mad inmate, seated on a straw chair, looked at us with a fixed, vacant and haunted expression, He was very thin, with hollow cheeks and hair almost white, which one guessed might have turned gray in a few months. His clothes appeared to be too large for his shrunken limbs, his sunken chest, and empty paunch. One felt that this man's mind was destroyed, eaten by his thoughts, by one thought, just as a fruit is eaten by a worm. His craze, his idea was there in his brain, insistent, harassing, destructive. It wasted his frame little by little. It, the invisible, impalpable, intangible, immaterial idea, was mining his health, drinking his blood, snuffing out his life. What a mystery was this man, being killed by an ideal! He aroused sorrow, fear, and pity, this madman! What strange, tremendous, and deadly thoughts dwelt within this forehead, which they creased with deep wrinkles which were never still! He has terrible attacks of rage, said the doctor to me. He is one of the most peculiar cases I have ever seen. He has seizures of erotic and macabre-esque madness. He is a sort of necrophile. He has kept a journal in which he sets forth his disease with the utmost clearness— in it you can, as it were, put your finger on it. If it would interest you, you may go over this document. I followed the doctor into his office, where he handed me this wretched man's diary, saying, read it and tell me what you think of it. I read as follows. Until the age of thirty-two I lived peacefully without knowing love. Life appeared very simple, very pleasant, and very easy. I was rich. I enjoyed so many things that I had no passion for anything in particular. It was good to be alive. I woke happy every morning and did those things that pleased me during the day and went to bed at night contented in the expectation of a peaceful tomorrow and a future without anxiety i had had a few flirtations without my heart being touched by any true passion or wounded by any of the sensations of true love it is good to live like that it is better to love but it is terrible and yet those who love in the ordinary way must experience ardent happiness though less than mine possibly for love came to me in a remarkable manner as i was wealthy I bought all kinds of old furniture and old curiosities, and I often thought of the unknown hands that had touched these objects, of the eyes that had admired them, of the hearts that had loved them, for one does love things. I sometimes remained hours and hours looking at a little watch of the last century. It was so tiny, so pretty with its enamel and gold casing, and it kept time as on the day when a woman first bought it and raptured at owning this dainty trinket. It had not ceased to vibrate, to live its mechanical life, and it had kept up its regular tick tock since the last century. Who had first worn it on her bosom amid the warmth of her clothing, the heart of the watch beating beside the heart of the woman? What hand had held it in its warm fingers, turned it over, and then wiped the enameled shepherds on the case to remove the slight moisture? What eyes had watched the hands on its ornamental face for the expected, the beloved, the sacred hour? How I wished I had known her, seen her, the woman who had selected this exquisite and rare object! She is dead! I am possessed with a longing for women of former days. I love from afar all those who have loved. The story of those dead and gone loves fills my heart with regrets. Oh, the beauty, the smiles, the youthful caresses, the hopes! Should not all that be eternal? How I have wept whole nights, thinking of those poor women of former days, so beautiful, so loving, so sweet, whose arms were extended in an embrace, and who are now dead. A kiss is immortal. It goes from lips to lips, from century to century, from age to age. Men receive them, give them, and die. The past attracts me, the present terrifies me, because the future means death. I regret all that has gone by. I mourn all who have lived. I should like to check time, to stop the clock. But time goes, it goes, it passes. It takes from me each second a little of myself for the annihilation of tomorrow, and I shall never live again. Farewell, you women of yesterday. I love you. But I am not to be pitied. I found her, the one I was waiting for, and through her I enjoyed inestimable pleasure. I was sauntering in Paris on a bright sunny morning with a happy heart and a light step looking in at the shop windows with the vague interest of an idler. All at once I noticed in the shop of a dealer in antiques a piece of Italian furniture of the seventeenth century. It was very handsome, very rare. I set it down as being the work of a Venetian artist named Vitelli, who was celebrated in his day. I went on my way. Why did the remembrance of that piece of furniture haunt me with such insistence that I retraced my steps? I again stopped before the shop, in order to take another look at it, and I felt that it tempted me. What a singular thing temptation is— one gazes at an object and little by little it charms you it disturbs you it fills your thoughts as a woman's face might do the enchantment of it penetrates your being a strange enchantment of form color and appearance of an inanimate object and one loves it one desires it one wishes to have it a longing to own it takes possession of you gently at first as though it were timid but growing becoming intense irresistible and the dealers seem to guess from your ardent gaze your secret and increasing longing I bought this piece of furniture and had it sent home at once. I placed it in my room. Oh, I am sorry for those who do not know the honeymoon of the collector with the antique he has just purchased. One looks at it tenderly and passes one's hand over it as if it were human flesh. One comes back to it every moment. One is always thinking of it, wherever one goes, whatever one does. The dear recollection of it pursues you in the street, in society, everywhere. And when you return home at night, before taking off your gloves or your hat, you go and look at it with the tenderness of a lover truly for eight days i worshipped this piece of furniture i opened its doors and pulled out the drawers every few moments i handled it with rapture with all the intense joy of possession but one evening i surmised while i was feeling the thickness of one of the panels that there must be a secret drawer in it my heart began to beat and i spent the night trying to discover this secret cavity i succeeded on the following day by driving a knife into a slit in the wood a panel slid back and i saw spread out on a piece of black velvet a magnificent tress of hair yes a woman's hair an immense coil of fair hair, almost red, which must have been cut off close to the head, tied with a golden cord. I stood amazed, trembling, confused, an almost imperceptible perfume, so ancient that it seemed to be the spirit of a perfume, issued from this mysterious drawer and this remarkable relic. I lifted it gently, almost reverently, and took it out of its hiding place. It at once unwound in a golden shower that reached the floor, dense but light, soft and gleaming like the tail of a comet. A strange emotion filled me. What was this? when how why had this hair been shut up in this drawer what adventure what tragedy did this souvenir conceal who had cut it off a lover on a day of farewell a husband on a day of revenge or the one whose head it had graced on the day of despair was it as she was about to take the veil that they had cast thither that love dowry as a pledge to the world of the living was it when they were going to nail down the coffin of the beautiful young corpse that the one who adored her head cut off her tresses the only thing that he could retain of her the only living part of her body that would not suffer decay, the only thing he could still love and caress and kiss in his paroxysms of grief? Was it not strange that this tress should have remained as it was in life, when not an atom of the body on which it grew was in existence? It fell over my fingers, tickled the skin with a singular caress, the caress of a dead woman. It affected me so that I felt as though I should weep. I held it in my hands for a long time, then it seemed as if it disturbed me, as though something of the soul had remained in it and I put it back on the velvet, rusty from age, and pushed in the drawer, closed the doors of the antique cabinet, and went out for a walk to meditate. I walked along, filled with sadness and also with unrest, that unrest that one feels when in love. I felt as though I must have lived before, as though I must have known this woman. And Villon's lines came to my mind like a sob. Tell me where and in what place is Flora, that beautiful Roman, Hipparchia and Thais, who was her cousin German, echo answers in the breeze o'er river and lake that blows their beauty was above all praise but where are last year's snows the queen white as lilies who sang as sing the birds bertha broadfoot beatrice alice ermengarde princess of maine and joan the good lorraine burned by the english at rouen where are they virgin queen and where are last year's snows when i got home again i felt an irresistible longing to see my singular treasure and i took it out and as i touched it i felt a shiver go all through me for some days, however, I was in my ordinary condition, although the thought of that tress of hair was always present to my mind. Whenever I came into the house I had to see it and take it in my hands. I turned the key of the cabinet with the same hesitation that one opens the door leading to one's beloved, for in my hands and my heart I felt confused, singular, constant sensual longing to plunge my hands in the enchanting golden flood of those dead tresses. Then after I had finished caressing it and had locked the cabinet, I felt as if it were a living thing, shut up in there, imprisoned, and I longed to see it again. I felt again the imperious desire to take it in my hands, to touch it, to even feel uncomfortable at the cold, slippery, irritating, bewildering contact. I lived thus for a month or two, I forget how long. It obsessed me, haunted me. I was happy and tormented by turns, as when one falls in love and after the first vows have been exchanged. I shut myself in the room with it to feel it on my skin, to bury my lips in it, to kiss it. I wound it round my face, covered my eyes with the golden flood so as to see the day gleam through its gold. I loved it. Yes, I loved it. I could not be without it, nor pass an hour without looking at it. And I waited. I waited. For what? I do not know. For her. One night I woke up suddenly, feeling as though I were not alone in my room. I was alone. Nevertheless, I could not go to sleep again. And, as I was tossing about feverishly, I got up to look at the golden tress. It seemed softer than usual, more lifelike. Do the dead come back? I almost lost consciousness as I kissed it. I took it back to bed with me, and pressed my lips to it as if it were my sweetheart." Do the dead come back? She came back. Yes, I saw her. I held her in my arms just as she was in life, tall, fair, and round. She came back every evening, the dead woman, the beautiful, adorable, mysterious unknown. My happiness was so great that I could not conceal it. No lover ever tasted such intense, terrible enjoyment. I loved her so well that I could not be separated from her. I took her with me always and everywhere. I walked about the town with her as if she were my wife, and took her to the theater, always to a private box. But they saw her, They guessed. They arrested me. They put me in prison like a criminal. They took her. Oh, misery! Here the manuscript stopped, and as I suddenly raised my astonished eyes to the doctor, a terrific cry, a howl of impotent rage and of exasperated longing resounded through the asylum. Listen, said the doctor, we have to douse the obscene madman with water five times a day. Sergeant Bertrand was the only one who was in love with the dead. Filled with astonishment, horror, and pity, I stammered out. But that Tress— did it really exist? The doctor rose, opened a cabinet full of files and instruments, and tossed over a long tress of hair which flew toward me like a golden bird. I shivered at feeling its soft, light touch in my hands, and I sat there, my heart beating with disgust and desire. Disgust is at the contact of anything accessory to a crime, and desire is at the temptation of some infamous and mysterious thing. The doctor said as he shrugged his shoulders, the mind of man is capable of anything. End of section 71 Recording by Tatiana Chichilla, Columbus, Ohio.